time to go into auto reverse. Tony and Matt. Where we look at bands that are underappreciated, misunderstood, forgotten, and to some unknown. This week, we're going auto reverse on Donald Bird. Well, whose idea was this anyway to do this one? The Donald Bird one. I remember we got into a text back and forth of different jazz people, and I think it started with George Benson, but then when it got to like Donald Bird, we were both going, oh yeah. And, yep. uh, you know, this is probably one of the more difficult ones uh, because just the influence and magnitude and uh, brilliance of this guy. I mean, Dude, do you, do you know what his real name is? No. It's like, it's get ready for this. Let's do it. Donaldson, Trisson, Love Overture, Bird, the fucking second. Damn, that is majestic. It's like some, and I probably said it like a, like a five cent <laughs> honky on the corner. But, <laughs> but it's like, it's like how, you know, it just, and he just said, nah, man, Donald Bird. But it's like, it's very... You're right. It's very majestic, and it's very telling of a guy who, you know what? There's the combination. I remember was listening to. I think it was a Charlie Hunter. You know Charlie Hunter, the guitar. Yeah, yeah. He was talking about there are some guys. Guitar, guitar, play, guitar yeah, player, right? He was talking yeah. about there are some guys, and he was talking more modern guys. Some guys who know theory, and some guys who knew how to who could play anything off the cuff, who could just improvise. He's like, there are very few people who can do both. And, you know, Donald Byrd, I mean, he's got the education. I mean, he got, a P he got a PhD. He's actually Dr. Donald Byrd. So, he, you know, started in Detroit and kind of did his undergrad there playing with, like, I guess, Lionel Hampton. And then went to, yeah. then went to uh, Manhattan. And that's where he got it. He got his master's degree there. And that's, you know, imagine, dude, you go to Manhattan and you're, then you go play with the jazz messengers, messengers. Mm -hmm. And that's your big gig. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jumping out because I'm so excited about talking to this guy. But uh, there's so much. to Well, talk let, let's about. let's roll it back for a second. OK. Jazz messengers are Blakey. Probably one of the greatest incubators of talent ever. I mean, I just watched the Lee Morgan yeah, uh, documentary, and I didn't realize how integral he was, like Blakey was, to his career initially. Yeah, and it just seems like this is what this is what Blakey did. He would he would just grab the young lions, re-energize the jazz messengers, and then move on to the next guy whenever the whenever that young lion would move on move on, you know, right. on their own. And let, let's just, I mean that that I, I, mean, I don't yeah, want to hold back too far, but it's amazing that. He was such an incubator for all these guys. Yeah, he kind of like continued this the the thing of like what Duke, Duke Ellington and Count Basie used to do. Mm, yes, right. They would do the, that as well, and yeah, um, you know, it. What's to me, you know, that he didn't spend a lot of. He, he could have settled down in the Jazz Messengers, but I think like only like four years after that, that's when he started his own uh, band. And mm -hmm. um, I was actually just listening to this because I had listened to the pack uh, the, the playlist which is extraordinary in both size and what it covers. But his uh, the live show with his first quintet, which was uh, at the Half um, half No Cafe, and it's with him and Pepper Adams and uh, Duke Pearson. And it's, man, it just, they just smoke. 
And, you know, he started out with this, you know, bebop, hard bop, and just kind of seemed like because of his mind, how he was like, you take the education of going to get a master's and a PhD, like he seems like he was always trying to expand himself both as a musician and as, as just someone who understood music. And yeah, I mean, if that playlist, I mean, how many different, I mean, look, you can look at it many different ways. You can look at like people he played as a sideman, people who played with him at his own band, and then just the range of styles that he, he yeah, the, the, the range of styles, but it, the thing that caught me and it's, this is where I initially like started the sort of like the line of of this episode is he was the ultimate crossover artist if you think about it yeah. i mean this was a serious hard bop guy like who had played with rollins with, with uh sonny rollins who had played Coltrane, with Coltrane, who had played with monk who yeah. played with monk uh and he and he did all this like seriously like almost intellectual you know stuff and then he said, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to cross over into R&B and soul and sort of move with move with the times. Um, and it kind of started in 72. I think Ethiopian Nights to me was the sort of beginning of that. And it right. went all the way for another 10 years to 82. And that's where he did um, Street Lady and uh, Caricatures and all those albums right. that are considered uh, to this day soul, jazz, rare groove uh acid jazz like cornerstone records and he even encouraged his boy herbie hancock to do the same yeah um and 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 herbie hancock himself became it was another serious dude just like his serious heavy dude who that who also would go on to have hits uh more like you know sort of headhunters into you know the the rock you know when herbie hancock did rocket and sort of like linked up with hip uh, the nascent like sort right. of hip-hop days and 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 he also crossed over and uh, it's it's incredible like th so he had this serious legitimate like bona fides side of him and then he had the, and then he had the crossover side and that and i and i mean to be told that the crossover side is what i learned about first right when i was getting into acid jazz and stuff in the early 90s like i I'm, i think i bought a cd copy of caricatures the the, the sort of album where there's like a hand-drawn picture of him yeah, looks like are, a new yorker the, the Al, new yorker uh, magazine yeah, Al, album. Uh, yeah Al hirschfeld Al, yeah, Cowboy, that's yeah. right right yeah. so and so that's that's what's incredible about this guy you and you're right and going back to what you said this sort of range of styles it's like no matter where you dove in on him you were going to be happy well and then and then and then when you look back on what he did then you were going to be even happier well here's also too to the point that you're making like those albums and if you start even in 66 to 74 when mm. or even go to 76 you go from 66 to 76 he's putting out at least one album a year sometimes three albums a year yeah and so he's not sitting there in an incubator saying, okay, how am I going to do this style? I and mean, let me get the right people around. Like he's just going out and doing it. I mean, like 67, he let, he put out four albums and not four albums to, like with other people, like four albums of his own shit. And then like, you know, like you were saying, like you have Electric Bird that comes out at 70 and then Ethiopian Nights 71, Blackbird comes at 72, Street Lady 74. And then Stepping In Tomorrow comes out in 74, but it says released in 75. But, man, I mean, 
you know, that's just a like a, a mind that's just both hungry, but it's not going to sit there and just let it like, you know, he's not going to let it sit around and, you know, what the, what they, what's the fancy word for it? marinate. It's like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seemed like both and like he, his thirst for trying new styles and there takes a lot, a lot of loss of ego, like an absence of ego to say, you know what? I'm really good at this, but I'm going to push myself and go into go somewhere else. Like, I mean, that song on caricatures, the science, uh, what's that called? Science. Um, uh, I'll let you quote it. Science function, remember. science function. And it's like all these yeah. freaky keyboards and sounds going on it. And, uh, you know, that's a, and that's a crazy album. Like, he, did you know he has James uh, Jamerson playing bass on one like on the first song there? No, I didn't know that, but I'm curious because you're making this sort of point of his loss of ego. Like I'm like at that time he was collaborating with the Mizell brothers. They were the ones that right. like pushed in some ways pushed him into what you're talking about uh, with the more synthy keys, like more like the more like, uh, like disco-y kind of like they were the ones pushing and they create and they, and the Mizell brothers actually helped him create this very particular sound that then was then was pawned not pawned off that's a terrible way to put it but right. was was sort of bled into other artists like i guess um uh what's the uh i'm trying to remember uh, <laughs> oh man well it, basically the Mizell brothers also you know they they took their charms and put and added it to other to other artists uh and and then also bird then produced the blackbirds his pupils at a um at um at how at howard university right. so it was this whole th this i think collaboration was was in the air you know what i mean and 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 he he it just shows like you were saying his lack of his lack of ego would would allow him to do that you know i i, I don't know if someone like miles davis would have done something like that well but who knows but maybe he would have who the who the fuck knows well here's what i would say to maybe to that point is that as as prodigious as he was as a a, a a leader or a creator of music he was equally as uh loomed as large uh as a teacher like he was from what everything that i read he was the the ultimate like mentor and he seeked it he didn't wait for it he seeked you know not just herbie hancock but scores of others um but you know the dude taught it like you know, like you said, Howard, he, NYU, Queens mm. College, Oberlin, Cornell. I mean, taught at like, like eight or nine different universities, and that, I think that when you have that kind of mind, that you're not. It's not about hoarding what you know. It's about sharing because through the teaching, you are also expanding your mind as well, expanding your universe through the through the through the pupils' eyes. Uh, you're gaining you're gaining insights and you're growing that way because it's kind of like a good teacher is like a it's is also a student that's someone who's taking in and learning new things as they go along um and i think like you know in the jazz world he you know you could talk about all the people that he played with like you know dolphy and red garland and horse silver geez you can keep jimmy smith and of course hank mobley you know it's just the kind of guy who it was like no day was that you know no no opportunity w or when it came to music came up wasted like he 
he sucked the marrow out of every probably conversation, gig, or thing that entered his ears and his mind. He just tried to say, well, that's interesting. Maybe I could do something that, you know, the, the, like I said, the, like some of the, the poppier stuff that he went through on uh, places and spaces like that, you know, adding vocals to it. You know, and oh yeah, yeah, and you know, trying a disco album on on a you know like on caricature, he was you know putting those synthesizers into production more. Let me ask. And you. then collaborate, and then collaborating with Isaac Hayes on the I think the record after that, the hard, uh, Donald Byrd and the Hundred and Twenty Fifth Street Band. Yeah, that was Isaac Hayes who produced that. So he even he even called Isaac Hayes to to add a little bit of his spice into what he was doing, and you could hear it. The person I was thinking about before, I have to go back to this because you know I'm crazy. Uh, yep. Bobby Humphrey was the other oh, okay. artist that, that the Mizell Brothers produced that who was also on Blue Note. She was a, uh, flout, a flautist, and she made similar cool crossover-y records like Donald Byrd, except her lead was the flat, was the flute. And and she also incorporated singing and, and other things. Her famous song is that song, Harlem harlem river drive so okay. you should look that up at some point she was great too her albums are awesome i bought a copy of one of her records recently um fancy dancer it's amazing right. but uh but th but that's the thing about him he bird besides like you're saying being so curious besides collaborating besides mentoring bes all these things he he was such a creator you know what i mean like and and he used collaboration to do that and and not to mention he's one of the cornerstones of blue note records oh, yeah. who we both know is uh like just their history the, the the photographs the number of records i think they were probably making a record every day yeah I mean, just from watching that Lee Morgan van gelder documentary, yeah yeah, yeah they, it's, it sounds like they were make they were cutting a record every day yeah. And the fucking owner of the record label was there, cut taking pictures, whatever his name is, Wolf. Uh, yeah. I can't remember the guy's yeah. first name. And and they were it was just and he was part of it and a big part of it. And but he was but he also did his own thing and he also taught and collaborated and then made these crossover records. It's just I this was a really good one. Just as excited as we were to do UFO. I was just as excited. about this do you think given his variety is something is why he's not probably as well known because of his 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 penchant for exploration and trying new things and just like not saying like for example like you know uh charlie parker was just basically hard bop and didn't really deviate from that too much whereas you know, you got Coltrane and Miles Davis who expanded their universes a little bit, but they sent t they tended to be more on the forefront than following a trend. Um, 
you know, why isn't why aren't those why isn't Donald Byrd mentioned with let's say uh, Coltrane and uh, Miles you know Miles Davis? I, I think he's perceived as not being heavy uh, right. as those other guys are. Um, he's not. I don't think he's perceived as heavy. I think his Poppy? being well at. I think yeah. I think because he's a well, he seemed like a well-adjusted dude who was willing to move and and change and and progress. Uh, he, I think, I think it comes off as maybe being a bit of a sellout, um, especially all those cro- like we talked about all those crossover records he made right um, in the seventies into the early eighties. I, I think, and I think some of like the super jazz, you know, like those super hard jazz critics. Um, probably dismissed him to, to some extent for doing that, but um, but it's fucked up because in some ways he heralded the dawn of you know uh, hip you know of rap and hip hop, right? Uh, of, dan- of dance music, uh, he was involved in some of the early creations of what we call dance music or disco. So uh, I think that's part of his of why he's dismissed uh, somewhat, uh, not taken as seriously. Um, and he also he 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 lived to I think he only died about eight years ago if yeah. I'm not mistaken yeah. eight or nine years yeah. ago and he lived he lived to tell the tale and a lot of times the guys like like Monk or yeah. Parker or they, these guys didn't live to tell the tale or Coltrane so they they're they're canonized for having died and so that's ways. a good point and, I, and yeah and i think that happened to, to bird bird was able to still go on and collaborate i mean he was still involved in the acid jazz movement in the 90s uh, i saw yeah. him play at fucking at sobs right. and then uh, not to mention he jumped on stage on that on the guru when i went to see the first guru uh from gangstar um what was that uh the album that he did whatever um, yeah, Jazzmatazz. Jazz he Mataz. jumped. He jumped on and played with him, with him. So he he managed to make it all the way th- to make it through, you know. And I think sometimes that's looked on as cheap. I don't know why. Well, Not well, to me and you, no. But to yeah, a lot of people, yes. That's yeah. a, you know, I mean, you make some good points because, like, I was thinking, like, well, Miles Davis did Jack Johnson, which was more, you know, guitar rock oriented, more free, you know, mm-hmm. which was a, a lot more away from jazz. But, on the corner, on the corner, also yeah, another the, weird record that yeah, he did, yeah. Right, but there's also, you know, Chet Baker, who is not nearly as influential or as important for that matter as Donald Byrd, but yet, you know, you see his, you see him all the time as well. So you're right. Maybe there is some of that where, you know, if you have only a, a if you die while you're, 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 you're you're in the zeitgeist then you're going to be it's going to burn a little longer whereas if you live a good and healthy life uh and meaningful life and do something that really is what you know embodies what a musician is all about which is constantly trying to explore and push yourself to to go to new areas and present those areas unabashedly you know maybe that you're right maybe that is that doesn't sell that doesn't sell copies of rolling stone it's hard to be a legend when you're still alive. It is. I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard. I only see certain artists like the Stones and others and McCartney who are still legends even in, in, while right. they're currently right. still alive. So it's very tough. And music is such a fucking rough biz- business uh, with people. People's tastes change. Yeah. And, and sometimes reassessment makes things like I, for us on the show on auto reverse when we reassess we're 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 
we're taking it seriously. But for a lot of people, when they reassess, they're like, ah, you know what? In the reality, I didn't really like this shit that much anyway. So, and you know, so it's like kind of, um, it's tough. Uh, but I know, you know, and I think those who know, know that right. Donald Byrd is one of the fucking best and, and will always be. Yeah. And I think that, I think another reason for doing this is like when we were put like, like when you have a guy who puts out so much stuff, it, it became almost impossible for us to like pick stuff. But we, I think where we landed on was trying to show us the most interesting range of stuff that he's put out. Um, and especially from where his beginnings as a sideman in his own band to, you know, really going and exploring funk and soul and, you know, pop and a little bit more dance music even uh because it's a, it paints an interesting portrait of someone who you know we don't get too many people who like that even in the jazz world most jazz people even today kind of kind of you know kind of go between two or two different kind of styles but they don't explore all the styles they don't go constantly reinventing their their sound with each with each record and um, like you said, it's it's a rough business. So you just, you know, most bands play it safe and like, okay, this is what we're known for. So we're going to keep playing this. And bands that try something else usually have a, a nice safety net or they genuinely want to move there and, 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 and say damned of torpedoes. So, um, you know, it's, I think like for people who even know the name Donald Byrd, and I will admit that, like, I didn't have a deep understanding of him. I had a, I had a, I would say a decent understanding of him. But like after this, it's like the appreciation for him, and it, like, and we haven't even really touched on his playing. Like the dude could blow. his actual play. Yeah, the dude could blow. Like, yeah. like that. Oh God, yes. I mean, it's more measured when he goes into funk and soul. But on the, you know, on the bebop stuff, I'm like, holy crap! Like that live album, just he's smoking like with his original quintet he's just i mean it's it's such it's it's a joy to listen to him play um not saying that the rest of the stuff isn't it's just a little bit more nuanced and i think that you know i you know that's that's i think that's a hard thing to resolve for yourself is just like i'm going to i'm going away from what i'm known for and try something that where i'm probably going to lose a good chunk of people as my fan base which you probably did or gain some new yeah, people I mean, away from jazz so he exactly. lost like you said the credibility yeah, and also jazz critics at the time in the '60s, '70s, they were really rough, man. Like they, they, they really lambasted people like him for 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 moving away and trying something new. Uh, jazz is a, such a is such a distinct, really almost exclusively American art form. So important, uh, kind of like the blues, uh, and I think sometimes people are treated too. Um, you know, they're too, uh, it's too, uh, what's the word? Precious? I'm looking for, precious, yeah, and it's like, you know, that's where, that's, that's the problem, like, when you, when you make something so precious, you put it up on a pedestal, it, then it's like, it's kind of hard to like, in a way, it's like it needs to breathe and move in order for you to come back to it and really appreciate it, which is what we do, this is what we do on the show, we let you know, we've let things go, we bring it back, we look at it again, and we really find the beauty in it that yeah. was always there. Right. That we needed to kind of to go over it to, to bring it out. So and I and I and I think that and that's the thing. I, I think I think inherently someone like Donald Byrd, 
you know, even Miles Davis, they knew that. Right. They had to have known that. They had to. They, I mean, they they knew what yeah. kind of influence they had, and I mean, like, how you know, being an elder statesman, which I'm sure, you know, that's the op. There's the difference between those two. I don't think I don't really hear a lot of stories about Miles Davis being a really great mentor, but, <laughs> but you you know like. I do about Donald Byrd. I mean, even telling Herbie Hancock, one of his the most valuable pieces of advice you could tell any musician is to don't give away your publishing rights. And that's right. Because if you hit it, you'll 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 get a nice little paycheck. If you don't, if you hit it and you don't have your publishing rights, oof, you're gonna that check's gonna be mighty smaller. Yeah, that was that's an interesting little tidbit there. I was reading that; it kind of gave me some PTSD about being in the record industry. It's such a <laughs> rough. It's like it's like uh, you know, um, uh, it kind of has that. We go back to that myth of Robert Johnson at the crossroads, you know, right. the devil waiting to make a deal, making a deal with you, and it's like. It's so fucked up and cynical and well, fucked, and uh, and it, it really detracts from the music because it's like you know, someone who's trying to scam you for publishing it isn't necessarily anyone that I'm interested in discussing. Well, you know what I mean? Because well, it's like, come on, well, that, good, that has nothing to do with with creation or right. art or whatever. But you know, the, the good the footnote to that is when Herbie Hancock was. Um, Negotiating his his, uh, his album with with uh, Blue Note, they were he told him about like I want to keep my publishing rights, and they were just like, no, there's no way you could do that. And then he mm. he literally stood up and said, okay, I appreciate it. Bye. Yeah, he was walking, and then they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. okay, you could keep your publishing. And uh, he, I guess, he, oh yeah, he uh, got it. He the money from that, I guess he got like a from Watermelon Man, his first big hit. Uh-huh. He got like a check. A rolly check for three grand. He went and bought a Shelby Cobra, which I guess today is worth like three million dollars. It's like a rare kind of Shelby Cobra, uh, which, yeah. which is that's my dream car if I ever. If, if, oh, oh, jeez. If wishes, if, if wishes were turned into dollar bills. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like old guitars, old cars, all that stuff. Yeah, is I, just, I, and, yeah. Uh, and I know, what, well, I couldn't maintain either properly, so, and probably not, deser- <laughs> not deserving of either at, at all, too. So, uh, you know, the thing about jazz uh, musicians and things that you could really help us out is like uh, letting us know, like, what musicians, jazz wise, because we go back and forth about jazz musicians, and it's. You know, Donald Byrd. All the time. All the, all time. the time. So if you have any suggestions on who you feel we should cover in jazz, um, let us know at uh, Auto Reverse Podcast, or no, it's Auto Reverse POD at g- gmail.com, or let us know on our Facebook or Instagram page, because we would happily, like if you, if anyone gives us a push toward a direction, especially in jazz, definitely we'll, we'll go there because, uh, yeah. We bicker, not really bicker. We go back and forth about who to do next in jazz, and it's really difficult. Definitely. Love yeah, deep. Like, de- definitely drop us a line. Yep. But, uh, yeah, listen to the playlist. It's a good one, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, peace. Peace.